The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Somehow, as we live this human life, it seems that our our minds become twisted. Our spirits become depressed. We don't know up from down. We struggle. We don't know where our joy lies. What we want is to be loved and cared for. What we want is to know that we're not on our own. There are others standing with us. But somehow in this crazy, deceptive atmosphere, we see one color and call it another. 
we see one opportunity and call it a danger. What do I mean? Well, Jesus made a trip. That is, he walked with his disciples to the boat, and there they got in the fishing boat, and they went to the east side of the Sea of Galilee to the land of the Gadareans. Now, this was not a Jewish part of the culture. This was strictly pagan people. They go to the region of the Gadareans, and Jesus gets out of the boat first, and he walks forward toward a cemetery. And as he walks forward, a man filled with an evil spirit comes rushing at him from amongst the tombstones. This was a man that was utterly demon-possessed. He was utterly miserable. He was a captive, but he was free. He broke all the chains. He broke all the fetters. Nobody could control him. Nobody could tell him what to do. He was not bound with chains. He was bound in his mind. The worst bondage is not with cufflinks or, you know what I mean. The worst bondage is not with chains. The worst bondage is the bondage of the mind and the spirit of man. He'd been chained hand and foot and he broke those. No one was strong enough to subdue him. But night and day he was among the tombs, among the dead in the hills. He would cry out and he would cut himself with stones. Now I've I've dealt with many cases of people, particularly women, young women, who cut themselves with knives. You can see the scars on their wrists as they cut themselves. Why do they cut themselves? Well, in part, they cut themselves because they have been sexually abused by a father or a brother or an uncle, by a friend. They've been sexually abused as children. And often the result of that is cutting. They blame themselves. They say, it's my fault. And there is intense pain in their heart. And one of the ways they try to deal with that pain is to cut themselves. I ask one young woman, can you help me understand what happens when you cut yourself? And she said to me, when I cut myself and I see my blood flowing, it's like the pain lessens in my heart. He said, in in that case, it must mean that you're punishing yourself for what has happened to you. But did you know it wasn't your fault? Oh, yes, it was my fault. My father said it was my fault that he abused me. He said I was seducing him. It was my fault. No, it was not your fault. You were taken advantage of by a ungodly and wicked man. You were treated with contempt and disrespect by a man controlled by an evil spirit. Well, this man, I don't know if it was sexual immorality. I don't know what caused this. But he cut himself with stones to somehow try to release the pain of his heart. And he would be up in the hills, up in the, among the tombs, among the dead, out in the desert. He would be shouting and crying and weeping, miserable, in bondage, tortured. He could not go among other people. They were terrified of him. He could not go home. His family was no doubt terrified of him. Well, he sees Jesus coming, and he runs to Jesus. 
he falls on his knees in front of him and he screams at Jesus. What do you want with me? Jesus, son of the most high God, swear to God you won't torture me. Swear to God you won't torture me? What? Isn't he already in incredible pain and torture? And he's saying to Jesus, don't torture me. Don't torture me. As I've been praying about this passage, I've recognized it for what it is. Some of you listening to this broadcast know without any doubt that your heart is filled with pain. You're lonely. You don't have that precious wife or that precious man in your life. You don't have the friends you want. Maybe you don't even have a job. Maybe you're just living on pensions or Social Security or money through investments. But you're miserable. But you don't want to give in to Jesus because surely that would be miserable. You see how twisted this becomes. The tomb is comfort. Cutting myself with stones is comfort. Living apart from my family, that's comfort because my family's crazy. It's comfort to somehow scream in your heart about the pain of your heart. That's comfort. Are you kidding me? That's torture. See, the devil has somehow convinced us that we can never be free, that we're always going to be loaded down with desperation over money, or we're going to always be loaded down with desperation for some sexual activity that we know we should not engage in, and so we repent, and then we go back to it. I'm saying we, everyone that is of the world, I'm not in that place. I have been set free by Jesus. Whether single or married, I am set free by Jesus because he is everything to me. And I have found in Jesus such freedom, such joy, such life. But the devil has lied to me too and said, you know, don't give up the last little places for your life where you can have your own way, where you can be in charge, where you can veg. Don't give up those movies. Don't throw your television out. You're going to suffer if you can't veg out on that novel. You're going to suffer if you can't have that alcohol. If you can't take those drugs, how are you going to survive? Well, why do you like to drink? Why do you like the drugs? Well, because I feel happy then. In other words, it blocks some of the pain of your heart. So you don't have to cry out aloud amongst the tombs, amongst the dead things of your life. Now, look, let's be real straight and honest with each other. The judgment of God is rushing upon this nation. Why is it coming upon us? Because we have, choos- we have chosen to live among the tombs. We've chosen to live in those places that give us some self-satisfaction and lessen the pain, but it's like cutting our wrists. It's watching our blood flow. And when you're over, you feel guilty, and now you have to go to Jesus and say, I repent, Jesus. I shouldn't have gone to bed with that woman. I shouldn't have gone to bed with that man. I shouldn't have gotten drunk. I shouldn't have been taking those drugs. I know it's wrong, but I can't help myself. You're in bondage. Oh, you're not in, you're not in handcuffs. (laughs) You're not wrapped with visible chains but you're in bondage, you're in prison, and you can't break out of it because you've tried and you've tried. You've tried to lay those cigarettes aside and they have just 
clung to you. You have tried to lay aside that relationship that you know is so sick. But you don't know where else to go to get a little bit of what you call love. But it's not love. It's lust. It's crooked. It's evil. It's of darkness. So this man is at the extreme. He is cutting himself, and he is wailing in the tombs, and he's living in the tombs. He's a miserable wretch. And you know what I know as I talk with you today by the Spirit that some of you are utterly miserable, you're unhappy, and yet you continue to live among the tombs and comfort yourself with what little comfort you can cover yourselves with. The Holy Spirit has spoken to you, He's called you, but you're afraid. You don't have roots deep enough in the gospel that you have any strength to resist. One man, I keep saying to him, your life is going to be utterly miserable until you take the time to say, Jesus, set me free. Do whatever you have to do to set me free. Jesus, I'm going to spend my time reading your word. I'm going to spend my time getting ready for heaven because that's where freedom is. That's where joy is. That's where life is. There's no life in that romance novel that you've been going to. There's no there's no life in that violent violent movie that attracts your heart. There's no comfort in a Hallmark movie. There's no comfort that lasts. You watch the movie and then it's over and and you've been, well, maybe someday somebody will come and love me. No, they won't. That's not how it works. So I know as I share this today, that you've been able to tear off some of the bonds. You may have divorced or you may have done something else, but you're still not free. You're still in bondage. You're married to somebody who is abusive or who is not loving or kind. You're married. Your children don't respect you. I know whole families where everyone in the family, almost everyone, is caught in the tombs. And when one gets free and they begin to pray and cry out for their family, they look like they're crazy. This man, night and day, would cry out, cut himself with stones, do things to punish himself. But he did one thing right. He ran out of the tomb and he went to Jesus. Do you hear me? You too have to run out of your tomb and go to Jesus. How do you go to Jesus? You get on your knees And you say, Jesus, this is what I've been doing. I've been drugging. I've been drinking. I've been fornicating. I've been whatever it is you're doing. I've been angry. I've been bitter. I've been using my mouth to hurt other people. I've been setting on fire the whole community around me with my wicked tongue. Whatever it is you're doing. I'm a glutton with food. I'm... I'm caught on sugar. I'm I'm miserable, Jesus. And, you know, you can be happy in the midst of your misery. Does that sound strange? 
You can be happy in the midst of your misery because you can quiet your misery with with wickedness only then to be even more unhappy. Money seems to be the chief god of America. That's why I believe the judgment of God is coming upon our money. That's why I believe we have a great increase in inflation and cost of goods and services and gasoline. I think that's because God is getting ready to strike our primary God in America, and that is money. Let me see your your bank statement. And I'll be able to immediately tell you if you are a worshiper of your money. Because your money is being spent on your own pleasure and your own leisure and your own devices to comfort your heart. And woe be it unto any pastor who dares to ask you to give something. Oh, pastor, all you, you're just after my money. Yes, this pastor is very much after your money because it is a false god and you need to strike it down in the name of Jesus and recognize that all of your money, all of your time, all of your energy, Jesus wants to liberate. He wants to bring you into his kingdom. You notice I did not say he wants to bring you into the modern American church, which is simply apostate. It is ugly. It is a social business where people hook up, where drugs are done. I can't tell you how many times I've I've had a man say to me, you know where I get my drugs, Pastor? You know where I get my marijuana? You know where I get my drugs? I get them after the service at the church when we guys get together and we buy and sell our drugs at church or the pastor of a very prominent Presbyterian church here in Washington, said to one of his parishioners, don't worry about your your cocaine. Don't worry about your coke. It's okay. Jesus understands. You're saved. You're on your way to heaven. And when you die, he'll take that coke from you, and and it won't be an addiction anymore. That's why I say the church is apostate. It's concerned about itself. It's concerned about its money. It's concerned about its business. Bodies, bucks, and bricks. Well, Jesus is only interested in bodies. He's interested in people. He wants to set you free. Oh, my brother, my sister. Have you ever sat with a happy alcoholic and they give you all the reasons why they love their alcohol? But if you bore down a little bit deeper, you'd see that they're dying. I sat with an alcoholic man recently, a young man, early 30s, and said to him, Today you have a choice. You get to choose life or you get to choose death. Now, he didn't want Jesus to torture him. Yes, he did not want Jesus to take from him everything he loved. Well, what did he love? Alcohol. So he was homeless, living out in the woods in his tent, He was married, but his wife would not go live with him in the woods. Wise woman. She said, we'll set up household and I'll be your wife when you make a decision to leave your first wife. Your first wife is alcohol. And so I said to him, look, you're married to two women. You have this beautiful woman sitting here in the the room with us and you have alcohol If you choose to continue being wed to your alcohol, you're going to die. But today, you can be set free if you will renounce the alcohol, if you allow me to pray for you. If you will cry out to Jesus, he will set you free. 
I said, you get to choose life or death. Now, if you choose death, I'll do your funeral as your family requests. But I will tell everyone in that congregation about this meeting with you and about the choice you made. I said, will you choose life and renounce your alcohol? He thought for a few minutes and then he said, you know, pastor, I can control my alcohol. No, you cannot control your alcohol. You're going to have to leave the tombs. You're going to have to leave death and you're going to have to come to Jesus. Will you make that decision today? No, he would not. A short time later, his body was found in his place in the woods, scavenged by animals, eaten by animals. And he was gone. Now, you may be living in tombs that won't kill you immediately, but you know you're miserable. And I'm telling you now, you cannot escape your tomb by yourself. You want love? You want to be happy? I don't mean the kind of happiness that comes out of a bottle or comes out of a a drug. I don't mean the kind of happiness that comes out of a a shack-up relationship where you're fornicating with a man or a woman. I don't mean the kind of happiness that comes out of a movie. I don't mean the kind of happiness that comes out of participating in a sport. I don't mean the kind of happiness that comes out of a computer screen. I'm talking about real happiness, real joy, where you know you're loved and you're cared about and your life has a purpose and meaning and all of the ashes of your life can be turned and made into beauty, something for which you eagerly and earnestly desire. Now, this man, he runs to Jesus, he falls on his knees, and he says, oh, don't, don't torture me. And your first thought is, if I follow Jesus, I'm going to have to give up all the things that I love. That's true. You're going to have to say, Jesus, I want you. And I give up my life. I give up my money. I give up my time. I give up my energy. I give up my entertainment. I want you, Jesus. I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. I want the joy of the Lord to be evident in my life, in my heart. I want the past to be forgiven. I want the present to be made new. I want my future to be assured. I want a new life. Jesus speaks to this man and says, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. What is your name? My name is Legion, and we are many. <laughs> like he's many and Jesus is only one. Uh-uh, Jesus has the power. Jesus will heal you and restore you and establish your life. Can you believe me? Can you believe the word of God? Jesus wants to give you a new life, but you cannot hold on to your old life and get the new life. I need to tell you a, a parable that I heard my dad tell. He was a preacher, a lay preacher, but a good preacher. He killed the king's English, but all oh, the content was rich. He told the story of a 
of a tramp. This tramp was scorned by the children of the town. He was stoned. He was cursed. He was spit at. He was thrown out of restaurants. He was thrown out of everywhere. He lived in the cold. He had a ragged coat. And he had holes in his shoes. He stunk. He was a homeless man. And he was walking through the cold wind, hunched against it with the coat drawn up around his ears, threadbare, hopeless, sorrowful, ugly. And suddenly beside him drew up a limo. The back window of the limo went down, and there sat the richest man in the whole area. And this man said to him, Sir, would you like to come and live with me? What? Yes. Come and be my son. And the man said, Yes. So he he finds the driver opening the door for him, and he slides in beside the richest man in town. The car is immediately filled with the stench of his dirt. The rich man doesn't say anything about his dirt. They just ride together. And they go up this long, winding drive up to this mansion sitting on the hilltop. The wealthy man says, please come with me. They walked in to a huge foyer. Absolute luxury on every side. A servant came out, and the wealthy man said to the servant, Please, this man is going to become my son. But before he becomes my son, and before we give him new clothes and new shoes and new everything, he needs a bath. He's got to get cleaned up. So I'll leave him with you. And I'll meet you all for dinner in just a short time. So the wealthy man left and the servant took over and he said, Sir, would you take your coat off first? And the tramp said, Take my coat off? No. This coat has seen me through the cold of every winter for many years. But, sir, it's ragged and it's filthy dirty, and I can't give you a new coat until you get rid of that coat. All right. So grudgingly, he took off his old coat and he threw it on the ground. And then the servant said, Sir, I need you to take your shoes off. Take my shoes off? Are you kidding me? I can't take my shoes off. These shoes have protected me from the cold. They have carried me through the snow. They have protected my feet. I can't. Sir, you have holes in the soles of your feet. You've put cardboard in that soaks through and your feet get wet. Yes, sir, I'll take my shoes off. Only if you promise you'll give me new shoes. Yes, I'll give you new shoes. And then the servant said, Now, let me take you to the bathroom. And there you'll need to take off the rest of your clothing. And we'll get you scrubbed up in a bathtub. And the tramp said, Are you kidding me? I haven't had a bath for the last five years. I am not going to take a bath. I would catch my death of cold if I took a bath. Do you see? Everything that was wonderful, that was free, that was a gift, he thought was too much cost. He thought his old clothes were adequate for him. He thought his stench was the normal smell of a man. The servant said to him, Sir, my master wants to make you his son. 
but you cannot be his son dressed in the clothes you're currently wearing, and he cannot make you his son when you smell as badly as you smell. You're going to have to get washed up, and I'm going to go in the bathroom with you with a brush and soap, and I'm going to scrub you clean. Oh, no, you're not, said the tramp. I'm leaving. Yes, if you are unwilling to get clean, if you are unwilling to let these old rags go, if you are unwilling to let your old shoes and your old ragged coat go, if you're unwilling to let that ugly hat with a hole in the brim go, you cannot be my master's son. So you may, you must make a choice. Either you go with me and get a bath, or you need to put your old ragged coat back on and slip your shoes back on, and you need to hit the road. I'm out of here, said the tramp. He offered me something free, something wonderful, something beautiful, and instead you're offering me a bath? You're taking from me my precious clothing? Are you kidding me? The master lied to me. I'm out of here. And the next thing we see is the tramp as he's making his way, walking down that long curving drive away from the home that was offered to him. You obviously see the meaning of the parable. And what did Jesus offer this man? Well, it says in Mark, the eighth chapter, verse 34, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. What is it that we're to deny? We're to deny our dirty clothes. We're to deny our holy shoes. We're to deny those things that we have comforted ourselves with for many years. We're to deny ourselves of that wicked fornication and that wicked drug use. We are to let go of our rags. We're to let go of our novels and our television shows and our entertainment. We're to let go of everything of the world, the flesh, and the devil. But many of you would say to me, Oh, Pastor, are you kidding me? I could not live if I didn't have my cell phone. I could not live if I didn't have my internet. I could not live if I couldn't go to the pool hall. If I couldn't go to the nightclub. I couldn't live if I couldn't get drunk or just have enough drinks to feel happy. I couldn't live. I couldn't live if I didn't have that illicit sexual experience. I couldn't live. I'd die. Yeah, exactly. Jesus is saying, come and die. Give up all that stuff. And he will give you Beauty for your ashes. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross and follow me. What is the cross for? The cross is to put to death all of the evil, wicked tombstones. The cross is to put to death the cutting of your body. The cross is to put away those things that hurt you so that you can be given a new life, a wonderful life in Jesus. And those wicked men who say, oh, you're always going to be walking in sin. You can never be free of your sin. They're lying to you because they don't want to give up their sin. They're teaching that you can't give up yours. I want to tell you right now, Read Romans 6 very carefully. It says the old man dies, not repressed, not held down, dies. And you receive a new life. You receive something beautiful that brings great joy and peace to your heart. Whoever wants to save his life That is, whoever wants to save his dirty hat, whoever wants to save his stench, 
you're going to lose it all in the end as you're cast into the fire of hell. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. You cannot be in New York City and Washington, D.C. at the same time. You cannot be in sin and in Jesus at the same time. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world? What good is it for a man to gain a hundred dirty hats with a hole in the brim? What good is it for a man to have a hundred filthy coats that stink? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? What is your soul worth today? What is your soul worth? Jesus says that your soul is worth everything to him. He died for your soul. He died that you could be released from your tombstone prison. Not halfway, all the way. Walking clean with Jesus, walking in joy and love and peace with Jesus. Oh, Pastor, I'm too dirty. Jesus can't save me. Oh, yes, he can. He saved this man out of the tombs. He can save you. Oh, Pastor. You don't understand. I'm caught. I can't get free. No, what you're saying is, I love my filth. I love cutting myself. It makes me feel better. I love my loneliness because I can at least be in the tomb. I can at least be crying. I can at least be me. No, my brother, my sister. Somebody said to me after yesterday's broadcast, Pastor, you're going to have to give up that hard preaching. (laughs) I decided after that, that okay, let's, let's paint the picture on the other side. The hard life is the tomb life. The hard life is crying out and cutting yourself. The hard life is going after a man or woman so you can have some quick hookup and then be betrayed. The hard life is is walking in sin. The hard life is waking up in the morning with a guilty conscience and saying, will Jesus forgive me one more time? The hard life is waking up in the morning and saying, I don't know how I'm going to make it through another day. The hard life is hunching your shoulders and walking away from all that Jesus wants to give you. That's the hard life. The hard life is walking alone in the cold, being comforted by your money, being comforted by by things that are empty, The hard life is consuming all of the empty calories of sugar instead of the steak and potatoes. Now, the hard life is dying in the flesh with no hope. Some of you have some sentimental idea that Jesus loves you unconditionally. If Jesus loved you unconditionally, there would be no place called hell.
Jesus knows that hell is going to be filled with people who walked away from him, who said, I don't want to give up the lust of my heart. I don't want to give up my independence to stay in my sorrow and misery in the place of death. I ask a group of men, I've shared this before, I ask a group of Christian so-called men, have you brought anyone to Jesus this year? No. Have you brought anyone to Jesus in the last five years? No. Have you ever brought anybody to Jesus in your life? No. Why? Because they're still dead. They've never been transformed. They've never been changed. They have no testimony of joy. They have no life to share because they're they're walking away from the master pretending that they are Christians. Jesus cast this demon out. And the demon spoke up and said, Oh, oh don't, don't throw us out of the neighborhood, please. We want to stay in this neighborhood. It's a pagan neighborhood. We want to stay here. Okay. Let us go into those pigs. Now, wait a minute. If the demon was happy in you, and the demons are happy in the pigs, could it be that there is some similarity between the two? Were you a pig? Are you a pig? Are the demons as happy in you as they would be in the pigs? Now, I'm not calling you pigs. I'm just saying, do you see the correlation? I know a lot of people who live like pigs. Always scavenging for what they can grab. Always trying to get the advantage. Always trying to be superior. Always fighting against anyone who challenges them. They're not pigs, but they're living a pig life. Full of dissension and anger and bitterness judgments, accusations, a pig life. Lusting after men and women, lusting after money, lusting after love. You notice I say lusting, meaning they want it for themselves. They don't want to give to another. They want it for themselves because they're unhappy. Pigs don't care about feeding somebody else. They only care that they can wallow in the mud and take care of themselves. I've known honest Christians who are willing to pull up stakes and move across country because they want to fellowship with others who believe like they do. They want to walk in freedom and joy in Jesus. There is such a difference between a lukewarm or cold-hearted Christian, they're not really Christians, and a real Christian. Oh, pastor, are you telling me I'm not a Christian? Five minutes. No, you make that judgment yourself knowing whether you're living a pig life and surviving in sorrow or you living a joyous, victorious life in Jesus Christ with no known sin or rebellion in your heart, walking clean before God. See, Jesus loves you. And he wants to make you his son. He wants to make you his daughter. And I can tell you from my own experience, he takes wonderful care of his children. He provides everything their heart 
desires. Every desire of my heart is found in Jesus Christ. And he brings into my life wonderful people who love me and whom I love. And he gives me purpose. Now let me be clear. Some of you will listen to this broadcast and say all pastor wants is money. Hear why I want money. It's a tool to bring this message I've shared with you today and yesterday, this week, the message of holiness and righteousness. This message needs to go to America because the glue of the gospel has been dissolved by wicked men and women, and it needs to be reestablished. There needs to be a, a new understanding of the wrath of God and of the judgment rod of God that is about to strike this nation. And our only hope is that we return to Jesus. I'm crying out to God that we could take this radio broadcast national. It will cost a million dollars a year to do that. That's what I've been told by Weva. And so, yes, I need money but not for my pleasure and not for my ego and not for my power. I want none of it. It's for the people of America to wake up, to repent, for revival to come, because revival only comes when the law of God is presented and our guilt is made plain. And then we have an opportunity to repent. There is no revival without repentance. And some of you don't think you need to repent because you've made a very comfortable nest among the tombs. Or you, in truth, are walking in righteousness. And in that case, you are 100% with me that America must hear the new gospel, the old gospel, the gospel of Jesus, not the gospel of the church today, not the easy believism, not the social gospel. The church needs to hear, and the world needs to hear, a confrontation with their sin and an invitation to the big house on the hill, the house of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to help make that happen, call me. I'll give you my phone number. 703-489-1111. Now, I also want to tell you that we're still a long way from having the resources to pay for even this AM station. I'd like to hear from you. You can donate by going to nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online, and thank you. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, each one of you who has given. Or you can write to me, National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that's National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. My brother, my sister, I invite you to the big house. Be filled with the glory of God and not the ashes of sin. I love you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you.